The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Welcome to the Stardom Cast, your weekly audio source of all things World Wondering Stardom, right here on the Pod Mania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodwin, and I am joined as ever by Mr. Positivity himself, Matt Turner. Matt, how are you this fine day? Rob, I'm fantastic. How are we doing today, sir? Not too bad, not too bad. The sun's shining. Stardom have just put an absolutely cracking pay-per-view in the car in the can so yeah nothing to be negative about what about you no it's a, an exciting day here in the turner household as we record this on saturday in about 13 14 hours my lovely wife has a tryout for the game show the price is right so uh <laughs> that should be entertaining as well yeah she's big on game shows and it's it's kind of funny because she's like actually really good not to i want to spin this off into game show network uh podcast here but she's really good at like wheel of fortune and she'll be like why are you there's there's no vowels left why are you saying oh oh pat you're you're ty looks stupid vanna white what are you doing in those heels so it's like i, think, <laughs> I always tell him like, you'd be great on these game shows because when you watch game shows all these people are kind of cookie cutter i said you would be like the stone cold steve austin of like the game shows like <laughs> you have to turn in to watch this girl because uh but i think that's uh I, you know it's going to be fun it's going to be exciting and not only that but that means uh, later on tonight i get the entire house to myself which means i'm going to be trying to knock off a whole bunch of the momo watanabe white belt um championship review that we're doing later on uh, this month for the patreon or next month as we're still in uh, february yeah, absolutely. We've got we've got so much to cover uh, in terms of Patreon next month, but it's fine. We love doing it. Um, we'll talk a little bit about um, the Patreon and things like that at the end of the episode, um, just because I'm absolutely buzzing to talk about this pay-per-view that happened on Wednesday. Um, as you've probably realized, um, we've done two episodes this week, just because we love you all that much. Um, so if you haven't already listened, um, the basically run up to this pay-per-view uh from Corican and take TKP Garden City in uh, in Chiba that is 
already in your podcast um, feeds as you're listening now. This show is going to drop for patrons on Saturday at 11pm and then on Sunday 11pm, the usual time it'll drop on the free feed as well. Um, Just before we dive headlong into this pay-per-view, I just want to say, I know there's been, um, and it's something that I'd noticed before, but someone actually brought to my attention that there is a bit of lag um, in the internet connection between me and Matt. Um, we are desperately trying to get this sorted. Um, I think it's on my end, to be perfectly honest. Um, but because I basically live in an internet black hole, um, the internet does drop out every now and then. We've got the quickest internet speed we can possibly get in our house. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll try different things. Um, I'll have to try and cut out the gaps on the podcast. But yeah, thank you for bearing with us. Um, there's Unfortunately, not a lot else I can do about it, but uh, we'll certainly try and endeavour to fix that. Um, but Matt, obviously, we've got a pay-per-view to talk about. Um, Cinderella Journey 2022 in Nagaoka. Before we delve into any sort of context or talk about the show, what did you think overall? No, we're only two months into this year, but from top to bottom, this was my favourite um, wrestling show I've seen all year. I like this better than the two nights of Wrestle Kingdom. I like this better than the Royal Rumble. Um, I like this better than any show, like I said, from top to bottom that I've I've seen. There wasn't anything that I was like, well, maybe I'll close my eyes, I'll take a nap, or I'll play on my phone, or I'll go get a drink, or you know, anything like that. I was literally glued to uh, my my iPad uh, watching this show. But yeah, this was top to bottom my favorite wrestling show of the year. It's hard to disagree with you, Inc. On a consistency basis. There was no bad match on this show. Even the future, and I don't want to say that in a derogatory way, but even the future match with Momokogo in, you know, she's only had a handful of matches. I thought she looked fantastic on this show. And, you know, even even the throwaway tag matches were really good and were, you know, building on stories ready for World Climax. Um, we had title changes because both me and you didn't think that we'd have a single title change on this show, and this is why I'm terrible at Pickhams. Um, but we did. We had a match that, again, got the entire Twitterverse talking about stardom. We had Dave Meltzer talking about it, Will Ospreay, Kenny Omega. So, you know, again, stardom. Everyone is talking about stardom at the moment, and it really does feel like an enormous promotion. And when you consider it, this show probably probably surpassed expectations. There was no red belt match on this card. You know, you'd got Julius, Yuri, Mayu, Tam, Utami, all buried somewhat on the undercard. But the people in the semi-main and the main event, you know, Sayakamatani, Natsupoi, Starlight Kid, Azumi, who are offensively young, let's just put it that way, you know, between 19 and 25. I think, I think Sayakamatani is the oldest one. I could be wrong because I'm not entirely sure of Natsupoi's age. But they're all really young and stepped up to the plate and knocked it out of the park. I honestly really, really, really enjoyed this show and hopefully that comes across in uh, in the stuff that we say about it. But let's dive headlong into the show. Uh, Cinderella Journey 2022 in Nagaoka, the Aora Nagaoka in Nagata in front of 706 people. A little bit of a disclaimer, I will continue to butcher that name throughout the podcast, so uh, <laughs> just get used to that. Um, 
just a little bit of context surrounding the venue and also um, the attendance number of 706. Um, this is the first time that Stardom have ever run the venue. They're also the first company of this year to run it. Um, and they're also only the second Joshi promotion to run the venue since it opened in 2012. The first being Sendai Girls back in 2019, ironically, with Suri as part of their main event. Um, in terms of numbers drawn, um, there's a huge disparity basically between New Japan and everybody else so this venue the highest reported attendance ever at this venue is 4074 which was at the new japan cup final in 2017 where shibata won um however you look at other numbers so if you look at 2018 for example which is pre-covid um new japan ran the venue twice drew 3996 and 3106 the other three promotions to run it in 2018 were Noah, who drew 228 to their navigation with Breeze show, the All Japan Champion Carnival 2018, which drew 481, and Dragon Gate's Gate of Evolution in um, Night 5, which drew 423. Um, in terms of COVID numbers, last year, Noah drew 246, um, and Dragon Gate drew 206. So, you know... <laughs> These Noah, Dragon Gate, and All Japan shows weren't big shows. Um, the um, Dragon Gate show that they did there in 2021 was part of their King of Gate tour, which is their four-block round-robin tournament, and there was no title matches on the Noah show. So you take that with a little bit of a pinch of salt, but 706 people, it's, it's an okay attendance. I don't think it's blow away, but, you know, the numbers are so varied wildly varied that i suppose it's difficult to really sort of ascertain what a good number would be matt yeah i think you know from doing a little bit of research obviously i don't do as much research as you do as you do sir and kudos to you but i don't think it's a like a big wrestling town you know if you have noah drawing only a couple hundred people and dragon gate only drawing a couple hundred people it's just not a really good town and i think from what i understand is uh they ha kind of have a deal on the building where maybe they the reason why they ran this building, I mean, because that's a question. It's like, why are you running this building and putting a loaded card in a pay-per-view? From what I understand is they probably get the building for next to nothing because I think they have a working agreement with uh, whatever sports complex runs the building. So it keeps your cost down. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's one thing to make money. It's another thing to, uh, to you know, get your cost down. So this, I'm assuming between what they sold in tickets and pay-per-view and merchandise as well, they probably made a, a good chunk of change, especially for a Wednesday show. But, I mean, kudos to, you know, when I first read the number, 700, I figured, man, this show was so good. This should have been well over 1,000. But in regards to kind of where they were and what every other company that's not New Japan is uh, is running and drawing, this is a good number. This is a solid number. And the crowd was, uh, you know, again, we're still in the, the COVID era. So this is like a pro-clap crowd, as you like to say. So uh, the crowd was into this. They were into, you know, all, all seven of these matches. So and it was a good-looking venue. I thought, you know, just watching, I thought, you know, uh, the venue looked really good. It, it looked like it was uh, well lit, and obviously the you know the stage and everything. So um, solid overall show, and uh, you know a good a good house, a good house for Stardom. I think that's really important what you just mentioned. It was a Wednesday show. I think at a weekend they could have potentially drawn more more, but you know you've got people who are working on the Wednesday, and then of course are working the Thursday morning as well. So I think again you take those numbers with a pinch of salt. Um, the last thing I just want to of course mention. Um, 
in regard to the pay-per-view. Um, Stardom ran a poll um, because they wanted basically the the audience to vote on what should be the main event of the show. And the poll results were as follows. So they had the four title matches as options. Uh, the Future of Stardom Championship match finished last with 5.4%. Uh, the High Speed Championship match finished second with 345 Tag match finished third with 15.3, and the runaway victor was the Wonder of Stardom Championship match with 44.8%. So the order of the vote would um, basically show the order of which it would run on the card. So because the Wonder of Stardom Championship won that main event, High Speed Championship came second, that would semi-main, then Goddess of Stardom Championship, and then ultimately we opened the main card with the future of Stardom Championship. However, before we get into that, we actually had a pre-show match, which I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't watched because I couldn't find it. It's not on World yet as we record, and I bought the pay-per-view, but for some strange reason, I've only got the main card and not the pre-show match, so I apologise for that. So I just want to quickly run over the answers because it, uh, sorry, the results because it does have um, world climax connotations so it was a future of stardom number one contendership three-way and in the same way the mayu julia and tam match should have been basically the first person to get the pinfall has the shot on the first night the second person to get the pinfall will have the shot on the second night that was how this worked um so rena won the first fall with the gory bomb over waka sukiyama so she will be um, fighting for the future of Stardom Belt at World Climax on the 26th of March. May Sakurai, who I think we both thought was going to win that, May Sakurai won the second fall um, with the Falcon Arrow, again, over Wakasukiyama, and she'll fight for the future of Stardom Belt on the second night, the 27th of March, at World Climax. Obviously, we can't talk too much about this match, Matt, because we haven't seen it, but... I just wanted to talk about Waka Tsukiyama. I've seen quite a few people saying, I can't believe that Waka took the pinfall both times. I think it's great. It's building her so much as that baby face. She's, so, she's possibly, what, top three most endearing baby faces on the roster? You're building her so well that when she gets this eventual, you know, we talked about it last episode, that eventual singles victory over May Sakurai, potentially for the future of Stardom Championship, which, spoilers, I think May will take on the second night. When Waka eventually takes it, like, it's going to be such a cathartic thing to happen, isn't it? I'm such a uh, old school and long term wrestling fan that it reminds me of like ninety four, ninety five Mikey Whiprack in ECW. And I don't know if you ever seen ECW or know of Mikey Whiprack, but basically he was, you know, Paul Heyman, the genius uh, that he is, basically had Mikey not even land like a punch. He would just constantly get beat up. He'd constantly get beat up. And Cactus Jack was embroiled in a feud with the Public Enemy, and he had like a last second to pick a partner, and he picked Mikey Whiprack. And Mikey's literally for his first win is he rolled up the public enemy and they won the tag bouts. And when he did, the place absolutely exploded. And I think that's kind of something similar that they're going for here is that she just keeps eating falls, keeps eating falls. And she's having good matches. I mean, she keeps she comes so close catching people when she does like those three or four inside cradles one after another, after another, after another, that I'm literally sitting on the edge of my chair just waiting for it to happen. And uh, I think this whole thing with May Sakurai is just, you know, kind of just firing her up. So I think what might happen is I think that May is going to win the future of the stardom title. 
uh, on that second day world climax. But I think one of her first challengers is going to be May, and I think May's for our sorry, not May Waka, and I think Waka's first win very similar to what they did with Mikey Ripra- Mikey Whiprack in the mid nineties. I think her first win is going to be for the future stardom title. So it's going to be almost like you're kind of killing three birds with one stone is one. You have Waka's first win Two, It's over May after she turned on her and it's three. It's going to be for a championship. So I think that's where they're going to go with it. And I think it's going to get a huge, huge reaction. Not only to the people uh, in the uh, building when that happens, but to also people on social media as well. But I, as usual, I, I agree with you. I think that they're just breaking her down this much and burying her, her down so much for a purpose and that's going to be uh i think that's what they're going to do yeah absolutely completely agree with you um we open the main card then with the future of stardom championship with hannon the champion defeating stablemate momo kogo with the hannon special in five minutes and 20 seconds now i watched this pay-per-view in full in one sitting yesterday and since that pay-per-view i've had hannon's theme stuck in my head but because i don't know any of the words i just keep repeating the phrase h-a-n-a-n hannon and i just keep doing that and i'm honestly surprised that i haven't just like my brother hasn't hit me with something or my girlfriend hasn't left me because I'm just repeating those five letters because I don't know any of the rest of the song. It's just so damn catchy. Um, But speaking about Momo Kogo for a second, she comes out on this pay-per-view and looks a star in that new entrance gear, doesn't she? Her confidence is evident and same with her in-ring presence. It's developed so much in a very short amount of time, Matt. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, not about the entrance. I mean, hey, man, that's on you. But now I, <laughs> I, I think what I'm going to do now is is because we talked about it, is that on the next match that she comes out with her music, I'm going to pay, pay uh, special <laughs> close attention. And then uh, I will probably be saying hashtag Rod Goodman's right. I had this uh, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train stuck in my head all day, and now I'm handing Simpsons theme, so thanks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I totally agree with Momo Kogo. I mean, it's literally the first thing you see on the pay-per-view is her come out, you know, new gear. Uh, you know, she has like the uh, the umbrella. She has the robe. Or not new gear, but like new you new entrance gear and just every step she took coming down to the ring it was like a step with purpose like you know she just comes off as a star and just somebody that's so endearing and just for that purpose i knew this match would would go sub less than 10 minutes and i knew that uh they would pour everything they would maximize every second that they got and i thoroughly enjoyed this match i thought that from start to finish this is really good you know you have two of the up-and-coming talent here uh not only in stardom but they're in the same faction they're in stars as well so you know they're being coached up by Hazuki and Koguma and uh, Mayu Iwatani as well. So I thought this was a was was a solid match. How about you? Completely agree. I'm glad you mentioned Hazuki because obviously we've seen videos on social media of Hazuki um, training with Momo Kogo, and you can really see the influence. Not just in a move set, you know, she's doing the Hazuki Stral, she's doing the um, springboard drop kick. But you can see in the way she carries herself, it's very Hazuki. She's got influences of Mayu in there as well. So that's really, really good. You know, she's a little bit green. Of course she is. She's still a rookie. Um, There were moments where, you know, she was a little bit slow into getting into position and things like that. But I don't think it was a, you know, a detriment to the match at all. I think both women did a very good job of telling a story in five minutes, you know, just over five minutes, Um, you know, even from Hannon hitting the famous, but then sitting too nonchalantly into the pin, and we get that brief flurry of Momo Kogo flash pins. I honestly really enjoyed this match. Um, I gave it three stars. What about you? 
had that three and a quarter. So I liked it just a little bit more than you. Uh, I talked about it last week. I'm a big fan of Hannah's judo throw uh, that she does. And she did it kind of right off the rip. Again, you know, they went less than six minutes. So you kind of got to get some of your stuff in and make it make sense. But I guess the one little negative I did have about the matches, you talked about Momo Kogo not getting in position for something. And she hit the... The, uh, the Frankensteiner into the pin and then did like the, you know, basically the Hazuki style of Maestro Cradle back to back for two near falls. And then she got up and she was just waiting for Hannon to get up so she, to throw the uh, throw the head kick. And I, that's something that I kind of don't like. It's like when you see when you see the plate coming, when you see the strike coming or the person running at you, why don't you get out of the way? Uh, and that's something that she could have done. Like she could have taken her time to sell. She could have maybe quarter turned a little bit. Maybe Hannon could have got up a little bit faster. There might have been a you know fifty fifty on on each of them. But for that being really the only negative I have about the match, uh, I, I thought it was solid. And yeah, I was I was right there with you. You know, I gave her three and a quarter. And I think it, you know it is important to remember that Momokogo is still a rookie, so that's going to come. That's something that you know will be worked out relatively soon. But it was it was just something that reminded you that you know there is more to come, which is actually very very exciting. Um, we had a brief video package um, after this match. Now I thought we were going to get um, the feel for the Cinderella tournament, but of course that's not going to happen until after World Climax, which I forgot was first. Um, but we did get um, a little bit of information about a couple of things to do with the company so just a reminder for the cinderella tournament this year um it's again going to be split over three nights with the opening night um on the 3rd of april from the takikawa stage garden in tokyo the mid tournament stage which i believe is going to be the second round and the quarter finals will be on the 17th of april at corican hall and then the same as last year the final will be on the 29th of April from Ottaward City Gymnasium, which is where they held the final of the five-star last year, and also uh, the Tokyo Dream Cinderella show that housed that Utami and Suri match. So those are three dates to put in your diary in regard to the Cinderella. All we know in regards to the field is it's going to be the biggest field ever. We haven't actually got a bracket yet, which presumably we'll get after World Climax or during the World Climax shows. Um, we also got announcements for the Golden Week Fight Tour for 2022. So this is basically a week where there are four national holidays all in the first week of May. So it's a big thing in Japan. And they announced a load of dates for starting to run, including their next big show. So the dates that they announced were May the 1st from Fukuyama Big Rose Center in Hiroshima. Uh, May 4th, they're running Kumamoto City Reduce Show Show. Oh my God, Hall in Kumamoto. I'm so sorry, I butchered that to death. Um, the next big show after World Cl- well after the Cinderella Tournament final on May 5th is the Fukuoka Goddess Festival, and that's going to take place at Fukuoka International Center. Uh, and then we've got a show on May 7th, the Eddie and Arena Osaka Second Gym, and then May 8th at Nagoya International Hall. Um, all I'm going to say... Uh, Matt, is that over that week, good Christ, we are going to be busy. Yeah, and we, we kind of talk about it before we record and during our, uh, we're, I think we text all the time. I think I talk to you via text more than my tag partner, which is which is a lot. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we try to stay on the same page, you know, between we're a half a world apart. But I think, uh, I think going back to, you know, a lot of our text conversations <laughs> that week might be, you know, obviously we're at the mercy of Stardom World. 
that week we might be have to record like two or three podcasts a week just to kind of get through them or just so we don't have like one giant five-hour episode (laughs) (laughs) um just going back to that may 5th show which obviously is going to be the big show for that month after the cinderella tournament final like i mentioned the video package um had a lot of um sort of footage of hazuki uh maiga and kagama who of course are all based or all were born in Fukuoka. So we talked about how Micah and Himiga had their title shot on the proviso that at some point the three of them became Fukuoka triple crazy. So maybe that show will be the one where they all team up for that six woman. We'll see. Um, we'll move on. Match two was a tag team match with the Oeratai team of Momo Watanabe and Ruaka defeating the Queen's Quest team of Yutami Hayashishita and Lady C with the freezer drop in 7 minutes and 34 seconds. Now, much as I love Matt's opponent at World Climax, Lady C, I can't help feeling that this is just another unnecessary roadblock to the Utami and Momo singles match we all want. Now, we were supposed to get it at Nagoya Supreme Fight, um, and that was made a tag match with Azumi's return. It was a tag match here as well, and obviously you want to build Momo, I understand that, so Lady C is there, unfortunately, to just take the pin. But both women were effectively doing nothing here. Could you not have stacked the card even more and put that as a singles match on this card? Or are they waiting to main event at Corican? Or is, you know, one of the nights of World Climax, as though the cards aren't stacked enough, are we going to have on one of the nights Utami versus Momo as well as a singles match? I mean, what what do you think, Matt? see your point of view but this is kind of going to be a running theme that i'm going to talk about is this card is was so loaded that literally the second match of the card you have utami on one side versus momo on the other side second match unbelievable i see your point of view but again we talked about last week about they're going to try to get you know anywhere between eight to ten thousand people on two nights uh coming up at the end of march well you know just about a month from now so you really really need to stack that card and utami has spoilers utami has that match on night one with Osaya for the white belt. So I think on night two, it's going to be Utami and Momo with Momo going over. And then at the end of the show, her challenging Sherry uh, for the, uh, for the red belt coming up sometime in either April or May. So yeah, I see your point of view. It's just like, well, you know, is this one-on-one match going to happen somewhere in the next two or three weeks? But I think you save it for world climax. You're already loading up the, the shows. There's already going to be so much eyes on it with the return of Kari Hojo. Obviously, coming off, you know, what I thought was a pretty solid uh, WWE run, you know, more eyes on her than any other wrestler ever in the history of stardom now, just because she has so many world eyes on her. So you you want to have your best show. You want to have your best opponents. And this is, you know, something that you've been building since uh, the end of December with Momo doing the turn. So I think you do this on night two uh, of World Climax just because it's going to get the most eyes and uh, the most eyes draws the most amount of money. So I think that this is where they're going with it. I mean, I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong, because I suppose the more we build to that, the better that match is going to be. It's just that, you know, it's Utami and Momo. It's not going to be a bad match. Um, in other, sort of moving away from that, what do you think of Lady C's new gear, Matt? Loved it. I thought uh, she looked she looked different. She looked good. She, I mean, she's changed her gear twice since she's been in Queen's Quest, and it's both been an improvement. And I saw some people saying it looked like it was uh, sort of like Konami's gear from a handful of years ago. I'm like, I, I can kind of see that. But even her hair looked different. Uh, and she does throw the best chops in stardom. 
the uh, and I don't mean the Baba Chop, not to be confused with uh, what you think is the Great Kali Chop, but that's another <laughs> argument for another day. Uh, but uh, yeah, just I just because she's so tall and the way she comes down with those chops and uh, kudos on all of her opponents for feeding well in the chops because that's you know half the battle. But I thought her new gear looked really good. She looked like a star. She looked she looked different. She looked uh, she looked leaner. Not that she was by any means out of shape, but you can see there was a little more muscle tone, uh, you know, in her in her abdomen area, in her shoulders as well. So when she was off, she uh, was probably hitting the gym a little bit harder. And I think just with the new gear, and uh, I think she maybe needs like maybe one or two new moves. I think she's going to fit into this uh, new version of Queen's Quest pretty well. Now I loved Chicken Shit Heel Momo in this match. The fact that she wouldn't start the match or wouldn't come into the ring until. Queen's Quest were on the back foot was was brilliant. And, you know, it's a completely different Momo to the one we've seen before, you know, when she's working with this character and she seems to be sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, conforming to this heel and working with this heel character so much better every time she's in the ring. Um, I think Utami and Lady C had decent chemistry in this. I think it's, it's certainly the smoothest and most confident I've seen Lady C in a long time. Um, I thought the double team that they had, which was, uh, as you mentioned, the Miracle Violence connection. Uh, oh no, Holy Demon Army, sorry. The Holy oh. Demon Army tag finish, um, which I quite liked. And then uh, Ruwaka obviously gets the pin over Lady C after Momo hits uh, the Bastard Driver. Um, what I liked, what I liked post-match was Utami comes into the ring, isn't looking at Momo, um, and Momo just aims a brutal looking kick to her head, which because Utami isn't expecting it, sends a careening into the ropes. It looked really, really brutal. Um, but yeah, it was a good match. Um, it wet the appetite, as I mentioned, for that singles match. So it did its job. Um, I gave it three stars, Matt. What about you? I had that three and a quarter, but because you're doing the uh, tag finish of one of my all-time favorite, probably my all-time <laughs> favorite team of the Holy Demon Army, Kawada and Talwe, I bumped it up a quarter star and gave it three and a half stars. And I think I even text you when this match was over. This was the best Momo ha- has looked since the heel turn. And I think that ha- some of that has to do with the fact that Momo's, you know, she's always been good. But since 2018, when she started the journey for the white belt, she's been doing these breakneck, just crazy matches, you know, for the better part of three years, like constantly going out there, putting it all. She's constantly having matches of the year contenders. And she's been kind of working a slower style. I think one to get in the heel character and two, there's a good possibility that her body just kind of beat up. So the fact that she really hasn't had any crazy, crazy matches in the last three or four months, I think that her body's going to heal up a little bit better. And then I think you're going to see once they get into that singles match with Utami that uh, I think you're going to see a match of the year candidate. I think we're going to see a lot of them on that uh, weekend of World Climax shows. But that moment looked really, like, everything here looked looked really good. Everything was personal, uh, you know, uh, made sense of purpose. And, uh, yeah, for Walk and Lady C, I understand. It's like, well, they were kind of there just to be there. But everything they did uh, was purposeful as well. So, yeah, I'm excited for when they do the singles match. And I just hope that they uh, hold off until the end of uh, next month. Match three then was a tag team match. The team of Mai Wibatani and Tam Nakano defeating the Oedetai team or We Love Tokyo Sports team of Fukukin Death and Saki Kashima with the Moonsault in 10 minutes and 4 seconds. Now, this was initially supposed to be a singles match between Mayu and Saki with Death and Tam on the pre-show. Um, Saki then asked to change it, presumably because, in her mind, the more people in the match, then the odds of Death getting a roll-up victory go up significantly. But all 
also because of the well-publicized bad blood between Mayu and Tam in the wake of the star split in Cosmic Angel's formation. Um, and she assumes their inability to coexist could lead to an easy victory for Oedotai. Now, this is very much going into the lion's den for Mayu because of the three other people in the match, Tam left her, Saki left her, and Fukigan Death, uh, she lost in a match to Oedotai. So very much an awkward little matchup here for Mayu. But all of that animosity between Tam and Mayu seems to go out of the window instantly when they first fist bump prior to the match. Um, and it's, you know, it's the tag match that Tam has always been denied, or the tag team, sorry, that Tam has always been denied in the Goddess of Stardom Tag League. And you can see just how happy Tam is throughout this match to be teaming with Mayu, can't you, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. You talked about uh, Saki, one of the many, many of the uh, poor Mayu's betrayers. Kind of just to rewind the clock a little bit, as you know and our listeners know, I like to go back and watch some started from previous years. And just yesterday, I watched a match. It was uh, Momo AZ, one of our all-time favorite tag teams, versus the team of Saki and Mayu. So I, I just thought this, this was a cool little tidbit that I wanted to share with you and the listeners. So Saki and Mayu, they come out, they cut the curtain, they're in mask and full robes. They get in the ring, the center of the ring, and they take their mask off, and Mayu is wearing Saki's gear, and Saki is wearing Mayu's gear. I was like, that's cool. And I'm like, I guess that. <laughs> they kind of have the same body size. You know, I'm sure they're both a size zero. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But then as the match was going, I was getting confused on who was who. I was like, why is Saki <laughs> doing the moonsault? That doesn't make sense. But anywho, now getting back to the match. It was a solid match, of course. But getting back to uh, this match, yeah, you can just see, like, Tam just, seem to be having fun i mean we know behind the curtains that they have to be good friends uh just obviously they had you know it was a year ago that the uh tam and cosmic angels left stars to form the group of cosmic angels so it was pretty cool to see them uh back here and they i thought they had really good chemistry i thought everything here looked really good it was uh mayu and tam they they seemed to be on the same page and you can see as they were leaving one of the last shots you can see just tam just smiling uh ear to ear and I'm going to make a bold prediction here, putting no money on it, that the goddess of stardom tag leave, I think Mayu and Tam are going to be tag team in that tournament. I mean, that is a bold claim. I mean, you can argue that with DDM expanding to, you know, control almost half the damn roster at this point, um, you could argue that we could see, you know, stars and cosmic angels work together in the same way that chaos and um, sort of unaffiliated wrestlers or the main main roster army um, were together in New Japan. So we could we could see certainly more uh, pair ups with that. I I personally don't think we will. I think we'll see. Um, oh, I think we'll probably see Tam and Waka and then Mina and Unagi um, in the tag league and. Just a spoiler, Mina and Yunagi are my early favourites for the Goddess of Stardom Tag League. Um, but irrelevant of that, the chemistry between Mayu and Tam is undeniable. That DDT into a wheelbarrow suplex looked brilliant. Um, Saki took a lot of the heat here. Um, I thought there was one moment where Mayu hit an assisted two-step dragon suplex and Saki kicked out. Since when do people kick out of the two-step dragon? Um irrelevant Mayu finished off quite literally with the next move with a moonsault but why <laughs> I, don't, I don't really understand it was it was a two-step dragon and then uh Tam delivered a super kick to uh to Saki and obviously that was the assist but 
I, I don't quite understand that, but you know, it's a it's a very very small thing. Um, not was, really. I, I I'm going to cut you off, but not really. I mean, Mayu won that match to uh, win many title matches, and I'm pretty sure she beat B Priestley to win the red belt with that. So I think one of two things either happened, I, and this is just kind of me just looking behind the scenes is. Uh, either one, they because they're, they've been kind of high on Saki and pushing her, and I think she's going to get a white belt match probably coming up soon in one of these Road 2 shows. So maybe they just wanted to give her that little edge, or maybe Death was supposed to break it up and never did and never got there in time. Maybe she missed her cue or she was on the wrong side of the ring and couldn't get there in time. So that's my two kind of like behind the scenes breaking it down that the reason why but yeah that nobody should be kicking out of the two stage dragon suplex not unless it's for uh a white belt match or a red belt match or her eventually match with kari but yeah saki kicking out of it at match three yeah i, I think it's i think maybe death mr q that's just my guess yeah potentially that that makes perfect sense um we did obviously tease a little bit of um, dissent between Mayu and tam where tam accidentally kicks Mayu in the face but it didn't lead to anything i thought it was nice that post-match the referee very deliberately put the hands of uh, Mayu and Tam together they both seem very happy um you know maybe we maybe we do see the end of this feud between Cosmic Angels and Stars in the face of the bigger enemy of both Oweta Tai and DDM um Mayu posted a picture on Twitter and she's got a big cut down her cheek massive graze so I'm not entirely sure where she got it I think it was from a Saki kick because it's very footprint shaped. Um, or maybe it's a giant paper cut from death. Maybe the newspaper offense is far more dangerous than I gave it credit for. Um, but I gave it three and a quarter stars, Matt. What about you? I was three and a quarter stars. And yeah, I think it was either a Saki kick or knowing Mayu uh, when she was leaving the building, getting to the bus or a car, she slipped and fell. That could have <laughs> been it either. Just living the gimmick. <laughs> God bless her. Um, and let's face it, if she was getting on the bus, she'd have been getting on the wrong bus. Um, <laughs> match four then was a really, really ingenious match. It was the DDM Civil War, a six-woman tag team match with uh, the Murder Pirate and Friends going to a time limit draw with the DDM OGs in 20 minutes. Um, this, the tension in this match throughout the entirety of this 20 minutes was palpable, Matt. Yeah, I think the one miss they had on this is the, before the match started, they should have said this match was sponsored by Stan Hansen, Kenta Kabashi, and supposed to Kojima. <laughs> For the amount of layers, especially, I, you knew it was going to happen. You know you have, you have we talk about all the time, Mariah with those left-handed lariats, and Mike and Himika with their tag team lariats and single lariats. So it's like, as good as this match was building, I was like, where are the lariats coming? Where are the lariats coming? <laughs> that, that last finishing stretch, man, I was waiting for them, and I got it all. Holy <laughs> I have put in huge capital letters. Give me what I want. I want a Mariah and Himika singles match. Um, just because between them, and I, I feel like I say this every podcast, but between them, the pace, the head of steam they build up heading into some of these clotheslines is it is frightening. But, you know, especially because of the size disparity between Mariah Himika and other members of the roster, it's it was heavy hitting and it was it was everything I wanted it to be. The only thing that surprised me, and this isn't a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, we had a lot of Suri and Julia in this match, which I didn't expect. I thought with obviously that being a match on the first night of uh, World Climax, I thought they'd protect those two competitors. But 
no, 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 we got a lot of those two. And actually, it worked brilliantly because that tension between the pair, obviously, you know, they leave other sides of the stage, you know, they don't shake hands post-match, they're at each other's heads, trying to headbutt each other, even after the bell goes and those two are still lamping each other. There is begrudging respect, but it's unbearably tense between the pair. And actually, the fact that we saw so much of Julia and Suri doesn't, doesn't dampen that eventual singles match. If anything, it builds even more towards it. And I think, I think even, you know, even the most negative naysayer will say, yeah, we're definitely heading towards a DDM split. I think that's, that's obvious. Um, when you look at the sheer amount of people, um, in DDM, I mean, this was a six woman, all DDM tag and it didn't contain all the members. So, yeah, overall, I thought this was great. The brutality and the pace really ramped up towards the last five or six minutes. If any match on this card screamed time limit draw, it was this one, and it worked perfectly with the story they're attempting to tell. And to be honest, those 20 minutes utterly fly by because there's so many little things to enjoy, whether it's the brutality of the strikes and the kicks between Suri and Julia, or whether it's the clothesline offs between... Um, Himika and Micah, or whether it's the heat on on Tekler, or whether it's Micah. The most impressive thing in this match for me was Micah attempting to suplex Mariah. She's done this spot many times where um, the person she's suplexing sort of guillotines, and then uh, Micah sort of powers them up into the suplex anyway. And it's always impressive, but with someone of Mariah's height and Mariah's build, that is even more impressive, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Going back, what you talked about, whereas uh, they gave us uh, Siri and Julia, like they gave you a preview. So I agree with you on one sense where they gave you quite a bit, but you know you were going to get more. You you thought maybe sometimes when they do these matches and they're they're building towards a main event match and you know we're going to get it, they only give you a little bit of a taste. Where they gave us you know a whole bunch, but knowing these two, there's still a lot left, and I think we're going to see all of that coming up here in World Climax. And I thought the end was really good where they had a, a perfect camera shot where they hit the time limit draw and Sherry and Julia are in the middle of the ring together, you know, exhausted. And the ref gives Sherry the belt and she did, and Julia's just staring at it, staring at it. And then she holds it over her head and Julia like almost like jumps at it, almost as if like if I'm holding a string and my cat's trying to jump to get it and then I pull it away. And it's just like, oh, so close. You were so close. So I thought that was kind of a good little visual to give you uh give us the preview of uh, what we're going to get at world climax so i can't wait i can't wait to see that match they said we got a lot here but there's a lot more left um but yeah uh this was this was really good this was a really good a good way to uh the crowd was really into this uh, they again we talked about the lariats and just the brutality uh coming out of all six women here i thought they all looked really good there was a really cool tower doom spot that they did you know we're talking about the uh building up into the superplex yeah, I think we kind of both figured that either uh, Tekla was going to eat the pinfall here or that this was going to go to a time limit draw. And it, again, I don't have problem with time limit draws as long as it makes sense. And I think this, uh, for the sense of the overall story and where we're headed, this was absolutely perfect for a time limit draw. You mentioned Tekla there. I think she needs some credit, especially for the selling. Um, I mean, there was one point where Suri literally kicks the toxic spider out of Tekla, and she sells it like she's been hit by a Boeing 747, which is brilliant. Um, but overall, you know, the match is great, but the sort of unspoken things, you know, that you infer as a watcher, you know, there's no handshaking at the start between either team 
and not just Julia and Suri who have, Suri, sorry, who've obviously got that match coming up for the Red Belt, but none of the members, none of the members shake hands, none of the members are there at the end to share, you know, the time limit draw bell, which is standard. No one is there at the end apart from Suri and Julia, and they leave on separate sides. So it's very much a case of when is this going to happen, not if this is going to happen. It's going to be who is going to fire the first shot um, because there will be a straw that breaks the camel's back. And you do wonder what that straw will be, whether it will be a Himika or whether it will be Julia choosing a Tekla or a Mirai over some of the people who've been in DDM for longer. It's it's a very intriguing state of affairs. Um, but as a match goes, I gave it four and a quarter. Thoroughly enjoyed it, Matt. I was, four, I was a solid four stars. So I was right there with you, my friend. We move on then to the second of our four championship matches as we reach match five, which of course is the Goddesses of Stardom title match with Fukuoka Double Crazy, the champions retaining against the Cosmic Angels team of Mina Shirakawa and Yunagi Sayaka with Kogama getting the pinfall with a top rope splash onto Mina Shirakawa in 12 minutes and 28 seconds. Um, Matt, what do you think about this one? I thoroughly enjoyed this, and to be honest with you, looking at this card on paper, this was the match, and I'm a tag guy, this was the match that I was looking forward to the least, just because, and not that I wasn't looking forward to it, just because how stacked this card was. You know, obviously you had the two main events, you had Utami and uh, Momo on opposite sides, Mayu and Tam, DDM Civil War, the future stardom belt, and uh, this was my third favorite match of the show. I thought this was, that just shows, goes to show you how stacked this card was. Uh, this was really good. Once again, once uh, it started, I was like, "Why wasn't I looking forward to this match?" Uh, Cosmic Angels. We've noted before here on the podcast that it seems like they're more aggressive ever since uh, Darth May Sakurai left to go to uh, <laughs> go to DDM <laughs> DMS. I think maybe we'll call it. But anywho, so uh, yeah, very aggressive to start. Mina, uh, she's been throwing some stiff, solid forearms, and she hit a roaring elbow towards the end of this match. That was absolutely perfect. I mean, just perfect. And I was like, okay, this is where she's going with the striking. I'm all for it. Uh, you know, with solid tag action on both parts. FWC, obviously, Koguma and Hazuki, they're on a completely different level than, than most of the tag teams in wrestling right now. And it really showed here. Um, so this was, yeah, this was really solid. And I know we, we talked before in previous podcasts what Cosmic Angels tag team we like better between Tam and Yunagi and Tam and Mina. And obviously, there is no shortage for my love for Tam Nakano, but I like the team of Yunagi and Mina best. And I know you just talked about how they're your early favorites for the Goddess of uh, the Goddess of Tag Tournament coming up here in the next few months. So I, I'm hoping that Tam kind of goes off and does a singles thing, and they keep Yunagi and Mina as a tag team. But I thought this was uh, was solid, and I gave this one four and a quarter stars. Yeah. I- it's it's great fun. It's great tag team fun. Mina and Unagi carried on with that intensity and that aggression, that renewed aggression that we spoke about in the last podcast, coming from uh, stemming from May leaving. Um, but I thought Kogama and Azuki were as tremendous as they ever are. Kogama seems to be determined in the big match to take any clothesline bump as high on her neck as is humanly possible. Um, thankfully, this one wasn't as quite as bad as the one she took off Himika, but even so, you know, still really quite brutal looking. Um, you know, Mina looked great. I thought Mina looked really, really good here. The draping implant DDT. Hazuki arrives and performs her absolutely terrifying suicide dives. <laughs> it's the one thing that I think since she's come back, she's been magnificent. But that suicide dive 
like I don't know whether she just she lacks a bit of confidence in it or whether she keeps hitting her foot on the top rope as she comes through, but it, it is terrifying every time she does it because she never looks like she's going to get enough distance on it. Um, so yeah, if we can either avoid doing that in future, Hazuki, because we want you around for uh, for the majority of you know the rest of our time watching Stardom. So if you can uh, avoid her in yourself doing that, that'd be great. Um, Brainbuster and Splash Combo for the win for FWC. We did we did anticipate that FWC were going to retain, especially as you know there's quite a lot of buzz about them at the moment. PWI have had them number one on their weekly uh, tag team charts for a couple of weeks now, so you know people are appreciating just how good they are. Post-match, uh, Momo Watanabe arrives uh, to challenge uh, for the belts at Sumo Hall. It hasn't actually officially been announced for Sumo Hall, presumably because we're still waiting on Momo's mystery partner, um, who she says, I've got the perfect partner to uh, to help relieve you of those belts. Whether that is going to be Starlight Kids or whether it's maybe a returning Natsuka Tora, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, Tora's been more prevalent over recent month, over recent weeks sorry uh, after that injury so maybe she's closer to an in-ring return than we thought um but obviously there's a lot of history between momo and hazuki uh obviously momo leaving hazuki high and dry at dream queendom in december you've got all the history of momo and hazuki in queen's quest um so yeah there's going to be a lot of anger i imagine especially on the part of hazuki kogama says she only accepts challenges from those that can do the bear pose because of course uh asks if momo can even bear pose so momo kicks her in the head which was a really good a really good ending to this segment um overall whether it is starlight kid or whether it is natsukatora i am i think that this could be a very solid tag match again we don't know whether at the moment of recording we don't know whether that's going to be at world climax or whether that's going to be maybe the main event of a corican show we don't know yet but either way i'm very much looking forward to that match matt yes um before we move on to the next one is we do have to talk about the one negative in the match uh no flirty hazuki again <laughs> seems like seems like ever since she uh she won the she won the tag belts we don't get flirty hazuki on rasio gao which completely takes me out of it just totally <laughs> just kidding totally kidding uh and now i think it's going to be torah i can see it obviously being starlight kid but i think it's going to be returning uh torah but uh, you can't rule out the fact of maybe a returning Kagetsu as well. I mean, that's been kind of teased here for a little bit as well. So that's you know something we have to keep our eye out for. I mean, <laughs> obviously, this is all stemming back to that video of Hazuki and uh, Momokogo on Twitter and the being that mystery sensei. <sighs> I mean, can you imagine at World Climax? It's still a mystery partner. Hazuki is with Kagama and Momo brings out Kagetsu. Just imagine the heat between Hazuki and Kagetsu, it would be phenomenal. Like, obviously, that is huge fantasy booking, but that would be insane. I would love to see that. I, do, I'm, I am going to be negative and say, I don't think it will happen. I think it will be Starlight Kid um, as they sort of bump her up the card uh, because, spoiler, I think she is done with the, uh, the high-speed division. But even so, you know, just the very premise of that is a very exciting one um in terms of my rating by the way i gave the uh the tag match three and three quarters i thought it was a really solid outing we move on then to the semi-main and the the reason i'm sure that a lot of you are listening to this podcast um the high speed champion uh championship match with azumi defeating the champion starlight kid with the numero uno in 17 minutes and 12 seconds um i've seen a lot of people on Twitter using the phrase generational rivals 
um, which works perfectly for these. I'm a big fan of how they're building Starlight and Azumi as these, you know, these forever rivals, um, you know, as though they'll always be linked. I mean, Starlight even mentions that Azumi is her eternal foe, and obviously the Spanish fly from the top rope is called the eternal foe. Um, these two put on an absolute banger in Osaka in 2020, which I've mentioned many times for the high-speed belt. And for me, until this match, that was the best high-speed match I've seen. Um, and because of that, I've obviously been looking forward to a rematch between the pair since. Um, but the growth in Azumi in the last two years is phenomenal. She feels like she wouldn't be out of place main eventing pay-per-views. But that's nothing to the improvement in confidence and charisma that Starlight has had over 2021 since her heel turn. And I'll be honest, Matt, we could be witnessing the early throws of a matchup that headlines a sumo whore or a dome. You know, Bushiro came out and said that 2025 predictions want to have them headlining a dome. I would not be surprised if Starlight versus Azumi is the match that they base that around because, you know, from the chemistry we got in this match, holy Jesus, what a match. You talked about them having uh, eternal foes, and they really have two matches, uh, which is kind of unheard of. Azumi Starlight Kid and Utami and Sherry. These are all matches that they can go to with little to no build because the build's already there, and you're going to draw 700, 800, 900, 1,000 you know, people just based on you know it's going to be excellent. It's almost like having Okada Tanahashi and then Prime Chono versus Muda. Literally in your, you know, on your card where you can pull that ace out anytime, anytime you want. But this goes, and I say this all the time, and I'm going to continue to say this, and I apologize if uh, I'm boring you, boring our listeners when I say it. This just comes back to what I talk about all the time is reps and reps in there with the right, with the right people. You know, if any of our listeners are thinking about being a wrestler or that are, that are, that are wrestlers, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got is you're only going to get better by being in the ring and learning from people that are better than you. And Azumi, right from the get-go, I mean, she turned pro, what, 14, 15? Something like that? Oh, I mean, you've you've caught me on my heels there. I'm not entirely sure. Carry on talking, and I'll find out. <laughs> but anywho, 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 so she turned pro at a very, very young age, and right from the get-go, she's, you know, kind of right into Queen's Quest with Momo and uh, Io Shirai, who obviously, you know, we have very high regard for Io Shirai. And Starlight Kid, right from when she turned pro at a very, very young age, She's learning from uh, Mayu, you know, Mayu Tuani, Mayu, Maya, I can't talk, Mayu. <laughs> uh, but, um, my, you know, my point is they're in the ring, they're across the ring and in the locker room learning from the best of the best. And literally, this is what you're going to see. The first match with Momo, Kogo, and Hannah. You're going to see that with them too, you know, coming up in a year, two years, three years from now, because they are in the ring getting reps with people that are better than them. And they're going to constantly learn because they're, you know, they have a passion for this. So, uh, and you, you text me just to kind of put this in some sort of context. You text me uh, we were, yesterday when we were talking about this match that Starlight Kid is twenty and Azumi is nineteen. That is their combined age is my is my age. Azumi was born <laughs> the year I started wrestling. So, and I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I'm old. By no means I'm not. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I have the mind of an eight-year-old. But this is just, these two are so good at such a young age because, again, they're getting reps in with some of the best of the best. And that's where you're going to see a lot of these younger talent. You know, we have that uh, that new rookie, 
her first match was against Utami, who was the female wrestler of the year last year. So it's like, how are you not going to get better? You know, if, obviously you've got to keep working at it. But when you have people that are willing to pass down the knowledge to make wrestling better, you know, go, I always talk about, you know, Terry Funk being such a great teacher and things that he's always said. And Terry Funk would always say that I need to teach the younger generation, you know, what I know. So the, so the business keeps expanding. And, you know, a lot, sometimes you get some of those older generation wrestlers like, no, I'm not going to teach them that because I don't want them to take my spot, which is the complete uh, negative way of looking at it. You need the business to continue to grow. So there's anything that any of these veterans who've had some success in wrestling, not just in stardom, just in general, can teach these younger kids so the business can grow. I mean, that's really, you know, that's just the beauty in the art of wrestling. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, I mean... (laughs) For me, these two are two of the best in ring in the company. Like, I don't think it's, you know, I can't split them on who is better. They just work so damn well together. And then adding this generational divide storyline as well just adds an extra layer to every exchange. I mean, we expected it to be quick. I mean, good God, we've seen these two work so often that we knew it was going to be quick. But, like, the speed never ceases to amaze me. The quick points are quicker, but then the forearm exchanges have a new level of brutality, like I mentioned, because of this generational rival storyline. Um, you know, the pace that they hit on the outside and then Azumi targeting the arm, hitting the Mysticker and sort of trying vainly to hit the Numero Uno. You've got the flash pin sequences that are absolutely magnificent. Azumi kicking out of the Black Tiger pile driver, and then... We have that move that beat Azumi in Nagoya Supreme Fight, the eternal foe, the Spanish fly off the top rope. She blocks it the first time, then Starlight Kid hits it, and Azumi transitions that impact as she hits the mat seamlessly into an armbar on Kid's bad arm. It is one of the most beautiful sequences and most seamless sequences I have seen. And from there, you know, Azumi then hits the Destroyer, and then... When Kid goes for the Kid Clutch, which is her fireman carry pin, um, Azumi manages to maneuver Kid into a Numera Uno from that Kid Clutch, which is just, again, she is 19. Admittedly, she's got seven years in-ring experience. She debuted when she was 12. But even so, absolutely phenomenal. And we always say, like, with a high-speed match, there's always that stigma that it needs to be short. Everything needs to happen in that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-minute period. For this, for 17 minutes, it was a relentless, blistering pace with both women leaving everything in the ring. I mean, they were... The desperation of Starlight Kid not to lose as she's locked in that Numero Uno, that desperation in the face of Azumi as she watches once again Starlight Kid getting to the ropes when she's locked in the Numero Uno. I mean, I haven't seen every high-speed match ever, but I'm damn sure this is the best. I mean, to keep my attention for 17 minutes doing this type of match without losing the audience, without losing the urgency and the story you're trying to tell is sensational. It's my match of the year so far, Matt. Mayu Iwatani. I said it. Okay. Anyway, I just need to drink. Sorry. Yeah, this was uh, this was five stars. Easy for me. I mean, you pretty much covered everything that happened in the match. Uh, but I kind of just want to just touch upon the Spanish flag. Uh, she hits it. It pinned Azumi a, a few weeks ago. 
But when she hits it, Azumi holds on to that bad arm, holds on to the wrist. And when she when they popped up from the bump, she uses that momentum to carry where she can weave through into the arm bar. I thought that was absolutely just brilliant. I popped huge for that. Uh, again, they, they get towards the end of the match where they're doing the high speed, you know, 2.99 falls. And even Azumi does the double Azumi sushi that she's pinned uh, – Takumi Roja in the the five star last year with you know where she kicks out of the one and then just rolls into another and I thought that was going to be the finish I don't think I've ever seen anybody kick out of the you know two two of those right in a row but then they went right back to the psychology for the finish with the arm bar but yeah I had this probably my match of the year um, either this or the Danielson uh, Hangman Page match from AEW a, a few weeks ago but this was yeah easy five star this is the best starter match of the year. Um, yeah, and this is worthy of all the of all the praise. Um, I, I worthy of all the praise that it's getting online as well. And yeah, these these two at such a young age, at nineteen and twenty, as long as they can stay healthy, these two are going to be. I, I mean, they already are. I mean, we, we talk about you know they always have. You can always go to a Shiri for a main event or a Julie or a Utami or a Momo. These two are not main eventers. You can put these on a main event in any show. It's going to draw. It's going to make sense. But I think what this does is. I think um, you mentioned it before. I think Starlight Kid's going to be done with the high speed division, and I think you're going to see her a push towards the uh, towards the white belt as we get into the spring here. Um, just a little bit of uh, statistics because I know how much you love stats. Um, Starlight Kid's reign ends at 178 days, failing in her sixth title defense. Azumi joins an exclusive club of only Natsuki Teo and Kaori Yoniyama to hold the high-speed belt more than once, um, with Yoniyama and Teo holding the belt three times each. Um, as we've already mentioned, this this match got huge amounts of praise from uh, wrestlers, Osprey, uh, Omega were talking about how good the high-speed, you know, the high-speed style of match is. Dave Meltzer gave it four and a half stars, which obviously, you know, we, you know, we know that it's one person's... Um, it's one person's opinion, and obviously we'll be talking about that in the main event as well. But the fact that it's given that exposure is is tremendous. However, I did just want to ask something. We got a question on Twitter, Matt, and it was from at More Films, Phil Gerard. Um, hi, Phil. Um, he says, as good as it was, is Azumi not just spinning her wheels in this division, having held the title last year? Does Starlight have to start her match her mass collection from zero? Um, yeah, obviously. Um, Starlight gives Azumi the mask and says, you know, put it on me. I, you know, but Azumi refuses, um, throws the mask away and they fist bump. Um, that show of respect. Um, but I'm interested, Matt. What do you think about Azumi holding this belt? Where do you think she goes from here? I mean, now you can put this belt. I mean, they just elevated this belt. Which I, you know, I go nausea when you're when I talk about it all the time. When you're in a match, you want to elevate the two people in the ring, and if it's for a belt, you want to elevate the belt. You can now main event, and we saw they main evented uh, Starlight Kid and Natsu Point not too long ago. But now you can main event a Cork and Hall show or somewhere even bigger with with this belt. So you, technically, you have three belts, and I guess even the tag belts, you can kind of main event these these shows where you're you're trying to draw five, six, seven hundred people uh, with the belt because. You, the elevation that they've done here. So I think she'll hold this belt for a little bit until they move her up into the uh, white belt, red belt. And who knows how long that goes. Maybe they give Azumi a year, a year reign with this just to build the belt up even more. I mean, I don't know where they go with this. Um, but as far as the mask collection goes, I don't know. I mean, 
where else can she put them? I mean, she's got so many on her robe. I mean, she's going to have to have like, <laughs> like an, she would look, she would look like Archangel from the X-Men. If she gets any more masks with them with the robe, you know, it's just like, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question, but I'm not sure. But I think maybe that's what they, what they do. I think that Azumi's going to hold this belt for a little bit because it's just the, the top of stardom is so, you know, so stacked with it white belt and red belt challengers that I think you keep the high speed belt on Azumi for a handful of months and maybe even a year, year change just to keep elevating the belt until you're ready to, again, she's only 19 years old. So it's like you can wait a year, two years until you put her challenging for the red belt and you're, it's only going to make her, you know, 20, 21, 22. So I think you just keep the belt on her and you just keep elevating the high speed title. Which is just that just makes it all the much more better for stardom that you have so many titles you can go to to main event your shows and draw you money. Absolutely, I do agree with you. the The only problem is obviously to have a year long reign, you need the people to fill out that division. And whilst that's not necessarily a problem with the likes of the white belt or the red belt, you know there is a very specific skill set required to wrestle a high speed match. And you know you've got obviously Starlight Kid, who we both think is now done with the high speed division. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Starlight Kid wins the Cinderella and goes after Sai's white belt. But you know, are there enough people to fill this high-speed division? You've got Natsupo, you've got Azumi, you've got Koguma. But then, you know, do we see a Saki in that division? Do we see a Tekla in that division? Maybe Momokogo in that division? Obviously, we've got Kaori Yoniyama, you know, in the, the Fukigan Death guys. But, you know, with Azumi... Yes, I can see what Phil's saying. You know, she's already held that belt. Do we not want to see her being pushed forward? I feel like we need the superstar in that division before we can move both Azumi and Starlight Kid out of that division. And at the moment, as good as Koguma is, as good as Natsupoy is, are they as good as Azumi and Starlight Kid? Ooh. How many people are, though? That's kind of an unfair question. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Yeah. But we need to, you know, we need to build the division before we move two of the linchpins of it out of that division. So, obviously, at the moment, we are focusing more on Starlight Kid, which is fine. Um, I don't have an issue with that in the slightest. Like you mentioned, Matt, Azumi's time will come. Um, You know, putting gold on her, irrelevant of what the gold is, is never going to be a bad thing. Um, And again, just because she's high-speed champion doesn't mean that she can't challenge for the tag belts, for the white belt, even for the red belt. I mean, it does sort of telegraph that she's not going to win, but it's experience, isn't it? So I wouldn't be surprised if Azumi holds it for a long time. We build up Natsupo, we build up Kogama. We might even have other people challenge from other promotions. Who knows? Obviously, with the relationships being built from the new Blood show, we might have other challenges as well. So... Obviously, it's going to be very interesting. I can see what Phil's saying, but uh, overall, I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a bad thing for Azumi. No, not at all. One que- one last thing I want to point out is, and I always talk about something in wrestling: you can win by losing. Obviously, Starlight Kid lost this match, but this builds her up in a whole other realm. I mean, she's had this talked about match that talked about all over the world. She looked absolutely fantastic in defeat here. Which makes sense because does she or does she not have a ginormous match coming up here in one month? She does. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and so, so now you just put all, all – the whole wrestling world is talking about this match. So everybody's going to be – you know, more people are going to be checking out this match, especially as it becomes readily available. And I think maybe this is something that 
Star needs to put up maybe on their YouTube channel in the next week or two. And then it's like, oh, by the way, she's wrestling, you know, Kari, Kari Sane, Kari Hojo coming up at a huge show. So this was literally the timing of stardom. Couldn't be more perfect that she just had this banger of a match that everybody's talking about. And a month later, she's going to have pretty much the biggest match of her career. Again, 19 and 20, respectively. It's It should be illegal to be that good at that age. Um. We main evented then match seven with the Wonder of Stardom Championship match with the champion Sayaka Matani defeating Natsupoi with the Phoenix Splash in 21 minutes. Now, there's a lot of context to this match, which I must admit I wasn't aware of in terms of Saya. So I just want to shout out at Velkage underscore Bracker, Scotty Wrestling and at One Up Culture on Twitter, who actually gave us quite a little bit of... Uh, context in terms of Saya, but obviously with Natsupoi around who they went a very interesting way with this match. Natsupoi obviously wants this belt because it was held by her idol and friend, Kari Hojo, um, even going so far as to wear Kari's gifted gear in the last match for the title she had against Tam in July of last year. Um, and then again at Corican, Poi asked Kairi to be there to watch, which Kairi agreed to, making this match even more important. And that was around what we built this match. Um, we built it around Natsup- the importance of this belt to Natsupoi. However, Sayakamitani has apparently, um, which I didn't realize, a lot of history with this venue. Um, apparently, this has special significance as this is where she failed her idol tryout and she was never the center. Therefore, the venue sort of killed her dreams, so to speak. And, uh, you know, ultimately, to be able to conquer that and finish the main event with her standing tall in a venue that never allowed her to be the star is is a huge deal for Sire. So, it, you know, it added even more gravitas to that victory. So thank you to those three for... Uh, for a conversation I managed to see on Twitter. So thank you for that. Um, but overall, this was this was another really good match. But I thought it was brave to paint Saya Kamatani, one of the most earnest baby faces on the roster, one of the most natural baby faces on the roster. She was unmistakably the heel in this match. I think that was kind of done on... I see your point. I think it was kind of done on purpose just to show she has this little more aggression side because they're kind of teasing that she's going to be having a match with Kari somewhere down the road, whether it's for the white belt or not, and then probably do some stuff with Starlight Kid. I think they need to show more of an aggressive side of her. I think that's why. Plus, who's going to boo Natsupoi? You know? She looks like a porcelain doll. That is true. That is very true. I thought it was quite interesting to see uh, how Sayaka Matani's obsession with Coach Ribushi is uh, taking her to steal the... Uh, the Osprey spot where uh, she lands on her feet and looks over her shoulder. I was like, really? Are we are we stealing that now? Okay, fair enough. And there was another Osprey spot she spot she stole with um, the double stomp on to Natspoy. Natspoy goes for uh, the low drop kick, which looked magnificent. And uh, I've always been a big fan of that spot, um, which I'm pretty sure Ibushi did against Evil um, way back in uh, I think 2018. Um, I remember him doing that in the corner. So uh, yeah. A real obsession with Kota Ibushi is Saya, but, you know, that aside, this was another another really good match. Another hard-hitting match as well, Matt. Yeah, and just to go back, uh, when you're talking about stealing moves, I have no problem with people taking moves as long as they're not on the same show and it's something significant. I, I, that's something that actually gets me that sometimes I'll be like, hey, man, are you getting in the ring and locking up? Because that's what I do, man. So I, I have no problem <laughs> with people doing other people's moves because it's it, you're doing it in, in a different context. You're doing it with your own little spin. But anywho, uh, off that soapbox, yeah, this is really good. I mean, you're talking 
you have two back-to-back matches that were that were this good. And the crowd was a little tired uh, as this match started, as they were just completely blown away by the match we just talked about. But as this match got going, they got the crowd right back into it. These two absolutely uh, have really good chemistry together. I liked how they, they kind of almost started with like a, a high-speed style. They kind of went back and forth. I thought there was a cool spot where they were kind of going off different sides of the ropes, and they finally wind up catching each other on the same side of the ropes. And Saya grabbed Natsupoy's hand, and they both almost kind of like arm-dragged each other to try to slow each other down. I thought that was a really cool, innovative spot. Um, yeah, that double foot stomp that Natsupoy did, where she was balancing herself pretty much off the eye hook uh, coming off the turnbuck, which I thought that was super impressive. Uh, then there were some really big spots. I mean, Saya, hit, Saya ate a lot of German suplexes. Uh, she hit the one on the apron. She ate a spider German. She hit another one. Uh, going towards the finish, that just looked absolutely brutal. I mean, Nat's a boy for being all of like five foot one and one hundred and ten pounds. She throws some brutal, brutal German German suplexes, um, and there was a, just there was some great near falls, like flash finishes. I mean, uh, Nat's a boy even hit a picture perfect fairy blink. That if I didn't know the finish going into the match, I thought that would have been the finish. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, Saya's power and aggression leans to be a little bit too much. Star crushing the Phoenix Splash. Perfect way to end this pay-per-view. I gave this one four and a half stars. Yeah, you mentioned Nats Police German suplexes. There was one very, very scary uh, moment where Saya seemed determined to channel her inner Mayu and attempted to break her own neck with the bump she took off the second rope German suplex. But it looked, you know, Poi looked very, very good in this match, throughout this match. And, you know, the defeat, yes, you know, I don't think many people expected Natsupoi to come out of this match with the white belt, but irrelevant of that, I thought she looked fantastic in this match. Not just, you know, in the high-speed style that she's famed, but also in the um, forearms that she was throwing, the kicks she was throwing to Saya's face, you know, the renewed aggression where she just refused to stay down. And it's, it is testament to how well Natsupoi, they built Natsupoi in the, in the, pre-game of this match that Sai is perhaps one of the most earnest baby faces yet I am wholeheartedly behind Natsupoy in this match and that's that's testament to both women there was an outstanding deadlift wheelbarrow suplex out of a pinning attempt from Saya. she did a victory roll Natsupoy kicked out and she used that to wheel the momentum to deadlift wheelbarrow Saya out uh, sorry Natsupoy and it just it looked amazing and then you mentioned that fairy blink one of the closest two counts of the year so far by a mile. Absolutely fantastic. I thought both women did a tremendous job of this. You know, main eventing that pay-per-view, um, the first time, I believe, that Cyrus main evented a pay-per-view. Um, is it? It is. I'm sure it is. Um, I'm sure someone will correct me, but even so, you know, it's still a fantastic achievement. And to follow a match like... Um, Azumi and Starlight and still have people talking about it. Melter gave this four and a half stars as well. And again, for anyone up in arm, it's one man opinion and completely subjective. Um, but I thought both women did tremendously well here. And considering Saya almost fell off the top rope early on doing a um, attempting a springboard, and no one is talking about that because of the rest of the matches is testament to both women. Um, we talked about obviously a little bit of history of Saya in the venue and she gets really, really upset at the end of the at the end of the uh, at the end of the show. Um, her and Nat's boy have got nothing but respect for each other, which is nice to see. Um, and then Saya says the next two people she wants to fight for the white belt are Utami Hayashita and Tam Nakano. 
with Sire and Utami taking place on night one of World Climax and the winner of that taking on Tam on night two. As though these cards couldn't get any more stacked, Matt. So let me just remind everyone, before I ask Matt's opinion, of what these cards look like with the confirmed matches at the moment. So night one, which is the top, it's being called World Climax, the top. So March 26th, we've got the Future of Stardom Championship match between Hannon and Rena. The special tag match with Kairi Mayu versus Tam and Yunagi. We've got the Wonder of Stardom Championship between Saya and Utami. And then the main event of Sturie versus Julia. That's an outstanding card for night one. And then we follow that with night two, where the winner of the future belt on night one will take on May Sakurai. We've got the special singles match between Kyrie and Starlight Kid. We've got the wonder of Stardom Championship, where the winner of Utami and Saya will take on Tam. And then we've got the world of Stardom Championship match, where um, the winner of Suri and Julia take on Mayu Iwatani. I mean... Jesus Christ, these cards are absolutely stacked, Matt. The crowd are going to be exhausted. But, uh, yeah, and plus we think that you're going to get a Julia versus uh, uh, Suzuki, probably some sort of hardcore match on night two, and we're probably going to get Momo and Yutami as well on night two as well. So you're just you're constantly stacking the deck, and plus we don't know what they're going to do with the tag belts, um, you know, what they're going to build up. I would not be surprised or upset if we get a rematch between Mike and Himika versus FWC, especially how their uh, their first match or their, their first title match that they had about a month or so ago ended kind of in controversy with that quick roll-up. So uh, I would not be uh, surprised or upset if we get that rematch as well, if they run that back. But these are they, they, I can't stress this enough how low these cards are. I mean, it's just... It's it's insane. This is WrestleMania Tokyo Dome level uh, stuff from stardom, you know, right from the in the first quarter of the year. And I think it's only going to get bigger and better. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, obviously, that um, Julia Suzu Suzuki match. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't do that on these cards, but instead have a big multi-woman tag. Like I said, five five on five hardcore elimination tag match. Just, just go balls to the wall with it on night two. Just absolute chaos and i think obviously i did mention before a little bit of fancy booking about how maybe julia selects a team and she she selects you know tecla and mirai and maybe leaves out a himika or leaves out a mica and that's where you know we get even more tension obviously a lot of that depends on how that main event match goes on night one with suri and julia um i honestly i honestly see suri uh suri taking the belt on both nights but Jesus, the possibilities, eh? I'll tell you what. Um, just another couple of questions um, just to finish this podcast off. Um, Lone Saber on Twitter says, Hello, guys, I've got a question for Matt. How can you be so positive about everything? It's contagious. It really is. I mean, Matt, how are you? Is it cocaine? Is that what makes you this positive? <laughs> to be honest, I've, I've never done an illegal drug in my life, to be honest with you. I'm like one of the only people. <laughs> I enjoy a nice beer every now and again. But, you know, like I, me and my sister are very close and my sister, you know, not to bring the podcast down, but hopefully uh, what I'm about to say helps anybody. My sister deals with mental health on a daily basis. And I basically break my day down almost into hours. Like I wake up, you know, the fact that you wake up and, you know, you have another day and I wake up in a warm bed, uh, you know, that's a positive. Obviously, I go on and on. And, you know, if you follow me on social media, you know how uh, how much I love being a husband and a father. So those are two huge things. 
Uh, the fact that I have multiple amounts of uh, wrestling DVDs and comic books, that helps as well. Um, you know, you could, it, it, the world can be a very negative, dark, and cold place if, if you let it. And I, I know, trust me, I've, I've had life kick me in the face several, several times, but it's all about, you know, how you react to it. You know, just, you just have to just focus on the positive. And if you are a wrestling fan, uh, you know, as I'm assuming that you are, if you listen to this podcast, there's a lot of good wrestling that's out there. And I always tell people that, well, I, I don't like New Japan now, or I don't like WWE now, and I don't like Ring of Honor now, or whatever, and that's fine. But you can go back into the 90s or the 80s, and you can watch stuff, you know, it's really available, you know, on YouTube or watch All Japan from the 90s. There's some good, good stuff out there. People just need to just focus on the positive. Uh, and for me, it's very easy because I have a lot of positive things in my life. So uh, to answer that question, that's why it's very easy for me to be positive. And yes, uh, there are certain times where I do get down on myself on certain things, but I, I try not to let it bother me. Like my thing is, if it's not going to matter in a year, not going to bother you in a year, it's not worth more than one minute to worry about. If it's not going to matter in five years, it's not worth more than five minutes to worry about. Just, uh, you know, focus, focus on the positive and you know, we get to talk about stardom once or twice a week. And to me, that's a, a huge, huge, huge positive uh, in my life. So, uh, you know, if anybody's going through anything negative, hopefully what I just said, uh, hopefully that helps you. And by all means, you can also reach out to me on social media if you're having any issues with anything or if I, I can help anybody out with anything or give some encouraging words or tell a bad dad joke from time to time. Um, but I, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the, the, the kind words. And if I can ever help anybody out that's having a bad day, a bad week, or a bad year, you know, just uh, let me know. Here, here. Um, Andy Nudson, this is an interesting question on Twitter. How can Cosmic Angels win Best Faction Award when their win-loss record is so abysmal? Um, it's a good question because their win-loss record isn't the best. However... I will just say that it's not necessarily all about wins and losses. It's, you know, it's merch shifted. But even so, you know, it's things like the storylines that are being told. You know, the feud between Julia and Tam, the story of Wacker. You know, you've got Mei Sakurai turning on DDM. There's a lot of focus, sorry, turning on Cosmic Angels. There's a lot of focus on Cosmic Angels. And, you know, it could be, you know, it's very subjective, to be perfectly honest, the whole Best Faction Award anyway. But, you know, the friendship shown between Yunagi, Mina and Tam especially is, you know, quite infectious. So it wouldn't surprise me if if that's the reason. Have you got an opinion on that, Matt? Yeah, first of all, I didn't. Don't put the heat on me, brother. I, I didn't vote them uh, Best Faction. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I guess, you know, two things is uh, just the improvement we've seen over the last year of Unagi and Mina. And I'm a big fan on improvement because that just shows you that you're working your ass off to get to where you need to go. And uh, I guess the number one reason that I would say they were voted in number one faction is they have uh, the wonderful Miss Tam Nakano. <laughs> the Tam Stan himself. <laughs> um, final question then. And obviously we haven't had any updates in regard to this mystery woman or indeed the uh, mystery sensei. So Joseph Usher with... Uh, wonders on patreon could the other mystery woman be natsu sumire um i'd love it to be natsu i i really do actually miss natsu um i'd love it to be her whether it is i i don't know um i know that obviously you're just throwing a name out there but i'd be i'd be excited to see uh a natsu return matt what about you I've only seen, you know, I'm talking about going through uh, some of the previous stuff. I've only seen a handful of her stuff. So if there's some 
some stuff that I need to see, by all means, guys, you know, hit me up on social media and let me know what I need to see. But as far, I'm actually glad you brought that up. But as far as who the mystery person is, uh, we only saw a picture of the red shoes. So it could be very easily just Red Shoes Uno, the referee <laughs> from uh, New Japan. Or I think it's going to be Jushin Liger. And I think Liger is going to teach her Momo Kogo the palm strike. And I think that you're going to see Momo Kogo using the palm strike as a, as a finisher or set up as a finish um, in the near future. And I think that's just, you know, if, if it is Liger and they're showing these vignettes on YouTube and Stardom World of her showing how to use the palm strike, that's just going to add another dynamic to a, a person that's very new to the roster that's so good so fast final thing then um we'll just go through a couple of the announced cards for the next couple of shows interestingly enough we mentioned how julia had been on top of uh 50 of the cards um where siri had only been on the top 25 percent. and since you've said that um coincidentally julia is not on top of any of the announced four cards so there you go um as we record today, 26th of February, Stardom have just run a show in Himaji. Um, This is the card for that show. So singles match, Mina versus Rina. Um, Hanan and Kogama versus Natsupoi and Mirai. Six-woman tag, uh, Siori, Maika and Himika taking on Tam, Nakano, Yunagi Sayaka and Wakasukiyama. Um, Juliet, Tekla and Mei Sakurai taking on Mayu, Hazuki and Momo Kogo. And then finally, we have got on top Utami, Azumi, Sayakamatani, and Lady C versus the Uedatai team of Saki Kashima, Ruaka, Starlight Kid, and Momo Watanabe. Um, three more cards. We've got the 27th in me, uh, Tam and Waka versus Saki and Ruaka. Uh, another tag match, Mina and Yunagi versus Mirai and Tekla. Uh, Mayu and Momokogo versus Julia and Mei Sakurai. Um, and then six-woman tag, we've got Hanan, Kogama, and Hazuki versus Rina, Kid, and Momo. That should be quite interesting. I like that. Um, and then on top, we've got an eight-woman tag, Siori, Maika, Himika, and Natsupoi versus Utami, Azumi, Sayakamatani, and Lady C. That's going to be a very tasty match. Quite like the sounds of that one. Um, last two then, go on, Matt. No, I was going to say I agree with you. Yeah, those all seem like pretty solid. You know, as much as it's, again, it's kind of a house show, road to, road to show, they all seem like they have uh, solid things coming out of it. Um, the 5th of March from Osaka, we've got Hanan versus Saki, Natsupoi versus Momokogo. Um, that'll be an interesting match. I'm intrigued to see how um, Momokogo fights in a high-speed style match. That might be, we talked about Azumi doesn't have challengers for the high speed. That might be a little trial for Momokogo. Maybe. Um, Eight-woman tag, Julia Himika, Tekla, and Mei Sakurai versus the Cosmic Angels team of Tam, Mina, Yunagi, and Wakasukiyama. Um, we've then got Siori, Maika, and Mirai versus Mayu, Kogama, and Hazuki. That's going to be Ooh. very, very good. Yeah, that's that's the match on the three cards so far that's really stood out to me. Um, and then main event, Utami, Azumi, Sayakamatani, and Lady C versus Rina Ruaka, Starlight Kid, and Momo Watanabe. And then the final card announced, the 6th of March in Numazu is Waki versus Waki. God damn it. That's because <laughs> it's, seen... it's, it's another trainer, a trainee. <laughs> Wacky, wacky, tacky. Wacky, tacky. because I've just had Wacker and Zaki. Wacker versus Saki. We've then got a three-way. Azumi versus Hanan versus Fukik and Death. Uh, Six-woman tag, Utami, Sayakamatani, and Lady C versus Tam, Mina, and Yunagi. 
Um, and then two eight-woman tags to close out the show. Julia Marai, Tekla, and May Sakurai versus Rina Ruwaka, Kid, and Momo. And then the main event, Suri, Micah, Himika, and Natsupoi versus Mayu, Kogama, uh, Hazuki, and Momo, Kogo. That's another very, very nice, tasty version of that match. Um, so, Matt. I think that ends our review of Cinderella Journey in Nagaoka 2022. It was a great show, and like I said, one that surpassed all expectations, especially a show with no red belt um, defense on there. Really, really, really impressed with that. I just want to go and talk a little bit about our Patreon. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and is supporting us over at patreon.com forward slash the stardom cast. Uh, thank you to all our great patrons. We really, really do appreciate every single one of you. Um, I just want to quickly talk about um, the upcoming stardom cast episode, stardom cast extra episodes, should I say. So we've got, Coming up over the month of March, we have got Nene Takahashi versus Mako Satomura match review. We have got the Momo Watanabe white belt retrospective coming at the end of the month, 30th of March. And then on Wednesday, the 2nd of March, this coming Wednesday, we have got the Awedatai versus Queen's Quest loser leaves unit match from the 7th anniversary show and that was of course given to us by one of our patrons if you want to suggest a match for us to review then please go ahead and use the link at the top of our patron page um other than that matt anything else you want to add before we go off air no i just want to let everybody know if you follow me on social media i got a jam-packed week coming up a uh, friday I returned to uh, Hazleton, Pennsylvania for the Sanctuary. Tickets are only just $5. Saturday, you might like this, Rob. Saturday, I'm actually training with UFC light heavyweight champion Glover Shashera. So oh, let's nice. make a violent, yeah. So let's make a violent man even more violent. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, st- and then Sunday, I travel to New Jersey uh, where I have a shot at the H- Ace Fusion Pro Wrestling United States Championship. So uh, maybe I'll bring some some gold back home uh, for the uh, Stardom Cast listeners. So. Uh, as always, I appreciate the support, and I may as well just give my plugs here because uh, you know I'm kind of you know I'll segue into it. Um, you know, just look me up for you know Matt Turner up on Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. And uh, if you were bored since I didn't get the plug in, go and buy the book "Living the Dream" starting the 10th anniversary in review. That's how stacked the show was. We reviewed. I didn't get a chance to get the cheap plug in. <laughs> um, just to piggyback on what I said before, thank you to Rob Jones, who was the one that recommended the. Uh, the Uita Tai versus Queen's Quest loser leaves unit match. So make sure you're listening, Rob, on Wednesday because it's your match we are reviewing. Um, thank you to Devontae Walker as well, who's our newest patron on our $3 white belt tier. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at RealRobGoodwin. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on at the Starnumcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also check out the YouTube channel for our videos as well um patrons keep your eyes out for details regarding our very first hangout um so yeah keep your eyes on the patreon there if you fancy joining our patreon you can do it for as little as one dollar a month um at as i said before patreon.com forward slash the stardom cast thank you so much for listening guys we really do appreciate it we'll talk to you guys again soon
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.